When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Pod Save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I am your host, Anne Griffin. We're going to take a little bit of a tour of Cornwall today, virtually, and hear about what has been going on at the G7, among very many other things, because it has been a busy old week for the Royals. And to talk about it all, I have two friends with me here today. I have Daily Mirror Royal editor Russell Myers. Hello, Russell. Nice to see you again. Lovely to see you, as always. And back for his second appearance on the show, only a few short weeks after his first one, is Daily Mirror Deputy Political Editor Ben Glace. Hello, ben. good morning. Morning, thanks for coming back on. Nice to see you. And you By popular demand. By popular demand. <laughs> well, certainly popular. You've got to give the people what they want. <laughs> this is why, you know, we've been inundated. So, and Ben was down in Cornwall for the G7, um, you know enjoying the beautiful sunny Cornish weather and seaside and uh, all of the action that was happening down there. And, um, you know, they got the big guns out for the G7, Russell, not just the Queen, not just like the Queen and Prince Charles or just Prince Charles. It was the Queen and Prince Charles and Camilla and Prince William and Kate, which is pretty unusual to deploy that many of them all in one go, really. It is. I mean, talk about soft diplomacy. It was pretty blatant, wasn't it? The, the, the politicians probably weren't going to miss an opportunity like this to, uh, you know, to put the world leaders uh, in front of uh, the Queen and the rest of the royal family. And it's it's quite interesting watching. And Ben will be able to fill this in in much more detail. But just from you know cursory glance of seeing the dynamics of world leaders and how they act around each other, and you know. Macron's embarrassing efforts to align himself with Biden and anyone else who would uh, touch him or talk to him, I suppose. But they all, you know, it's like the Queen's like an aura. So she comes into the room and like I think you were saying earlier in terms of, you know, you might be the president of the USA, president of the world, free world. But um, when the Queen shows up, it's a complete different degree of reverence, isn't it? And uh, and I thought that was rather lovely to see. And I actually thought that the Queen looked remarkably happy. She actually looked like she was having a really good time. And there were several instances that uh, that were picked out. Certainly the, the the G7 leaders photograph again, which was ludicrous. All all gathered socially distanced, and then they were all hugging each other, being very pally on on the beach having a barbecue while we can't even bloody see half of our friends or go to wedding. But that's another thing. Then they, uh, then she turned to Boris Johnson after the photo and said, are we, uh, I, this is where we need your queen voice, by the way. Aren't you meant to look like you're having a good time? 
was about what it was, wasn't it? It's Something very like good, that. very good. I thought I thought it was rather hilarious. And um, and then the, the next one was when she was at the um, an engagement for the big lunch, which is you know that we spoke last week and the week before about the big jubilee lunch next year is all the uh, the project which was at the Eden Project in Cornwall, um, which has been going on for a, a fair few years, encouraging people to have street parties and whatnot. And Camilla is the patron of it. And they were doing a bit of a ceremonial cake cutting and she was offered a knife and she said pretty much like, no, I'm going to use this big ceremonial sword. So out comes this huge blade and she's chopping down on this cake. And then again, asked if she wanted a knife. And she said, what basic why on earth would I want a knife? This is far more unusual. So all crocodile dundee. <laughs> for this, well, that's a not a knife. That this is a knife. Yeah. <laughs> so the um I just thought she looked like she was having a pretty good time because it's it's quite interesting to see her on Zoom calls um yeah, acting all chatty, looking quite resplendent in her flowery dresses and uh different brooches and whatnot. However, you know, the um, there's a lot of truth in seeing them up close and personal, and and to be able to see her looking like she's really enjoying um, going out and meeting people again is is all part of the job, isn't it? And obviously, she's still in a period of mourning, of course, for her for her husband Prince Philip. But to be getting out and uh, seeing people again is um, welcome and all, on all sides of the coin. And what kind of a Buzz, did that event or sort of those series events and having the Royals being part of the G7 create at the summit then? What's interesting is, of course, President Biden is a head of state and he's also a politician. President Macron is a head of state, but also a politician. Boris Johnson isn't, of course, the head of state. So you've got the leaders who do the politics during the day. You know, there was a bit of an atmosphere around the Northern Ireland Protocol and the ongoing sausage war Brexit row. But then when the Queen comes in, who is solely a head of state and above the politics, it really does sort of change those dynamics. And the leaders, it was more like they were off duty a little bit. You know, they all seem to visibly relax in, in her presence. And, and Russ talks about the aura. It is like that. You know, she does sort of transcend the everyday knockabout of the politics, which there was a lot of over the three days down in Carbis Bay. You could really see they're sort of, you know, they're, they're wowed by her. Um, you know, she comes along uh, and the little joke she made when they were having that family photo, that excruciating family photo where they're all stood on the stage and socially distant miles apart. And then the queen sort of breaks the ice with, the, aren't you supposed to look like you're enjoying yourselves? And, then, you know, Boris Johnson has to go, we are, we are. You know, he's basically having the mick taken out of him by his boss in front of his contemporaries. And, you know, he's obviously on show a lot over the weekend, Boris Johnson. But then he's they deploy this soft power, you know, Britain's the, the very best of British diplomacy. We can just sort of come in, all all uh, five of them, six of them rather, five, five, all come in and, uh, you know, oh, well, we've done all the politics, but now here we are, let's talk about other stuff and let's do some glad handing and the visits. And especially down at the summit, you know, from the journalist point of view as well, it was very busy. But the moments with the Queen, those were the moments all the journalists stopped to gather around the computer and look at those moments on video where she's taking the mic and she's saying, oh, you're supposed to look like you're enjoying yourselves. And then when the video emerged of her with that huge cutlass at the big lunch, 
Um, but just watched it again and again, you know, her wielding this huge blade. And I know there's another knife, but I want to use it. And it's so unusual. It was just fantastic. And like, you know, this 95 year old woman was the star of the show. She was, she was, she brought the humor and the levity to the party. You know, she out humored Boris Johnson, who's one saving grace, seems to be the fact that he can do humor. She was better at it than he was. You know, there was really that sort of, particularly after a hard day's negotiations, she comes in. And it makes it fun. It makes it fun for everyone. Jill Biden, when um, in the run-up to, to coming to the G7, she said that the exciting part of the visit for us is meeting the Queen, for her and, and the, the President. Uh, he'd met her, the Queen before, back when I think he was a senator many decades ago. But obviously he'd not met her as a counterpart. They are counterparts as heads of state. And yet Jill Biden and Joe Biden were wowed by her. You know, they were charmed by Her Majesty. And that, you know, he didn't say he was really excited about looking forward to meeting Boris Johnson. It was the Queen he was looking forward to. And you could sort of see that dynamic as well when um, Jill Biden and Kate went to uh, the school, Connor Downs Academy, to learn about early years development. There's a whole programme of um, events for the spouses of the G7 leaders that goes on. Uh, the sort of shadow programme, if you like, whilst the, the leaders are doing the important politics stuff, the spouses go off. Well, this was obviously different because it was Kate rather than uh, Carrie, for example, who went to the school with Jill Biden. But so to see them interacting like that and, you know, Kate, very sort of English rose and yes, let's go and see some children. Again, all part of written soft power. I think the, um, you know, it must be exciting enough to have like, you know, it'd be an exciting day at school to have Kate come and visit you. But equally, she does a lot of visits around the UK. And then you've got the First Lady of America turns up as well. It would be interesting almost, you know, for the kid to know with the kids in that class who they were most excited about. Because, you know, I'm from, I'm from Cornwall. Having an American turn up at school one day would be quite exciting. Never mind if they lived in the White House. But, those, you know, those pictures were fabulous. And like, you know, Jill Biden <laughs> carrying her little, uh, you know, weighing scales full of carrots as they headed over to... Um, to feed the rabbits and looked, looked deep in conversation and, and chatting away. And I think the other thing that was interesting about that visit and it, it wasn't, it was sort of, wasn't just a visit. It had a bit of not exactly politics, but sort of society in it as well, because Jill Biden and Kate have sort of already aligned themselves around one of Kate's big projects on, on early years. And they did that joint op-ed in um, for CNN so the you know it was sort of the the issues as well rather than just rather than just a sightseeing which I thought was was rather nice. Um, the pictures generally were were fabulous. Um, we saw a lot of sort of the Queen and, and Camilla and, and Kate and that massive cake. I'm a big big fan of Camilla being back on on cake duty. Um, you went to the Eden Project last week and tell us a bit about that because that was where one of the big big receptions was held so tell us a bit about um well first the, the eden project and also the sort of the reception and the glam dinner and, and things themselves that's right so the um, eden project are these huge biomes which have been placed into a reclaimed uh china clay pit down in cornwall just outside uh st Austell. and the uh, the leaders went there for a reception on the Friday night, so the first day of the summit. After they've um, done all these really awkward elbow bump uh, photographs, which sometimes turned into more of a forearm caress, uh, really. So they did those uh, the greeting photographs down on the beach at Carbis Bay. It was an initial meeting, and then they all headed over to the Eden Project. 
for uh, for a reception. The royals attended the drinks reception. Uh, now the Eden Project is uh, yeah, it's described as like the largest indoor rainforest in the world. So what they've done is take loads of trees and some birds um, and recreate these huge rainforests um, in Cornwall. Uh, anyone who's not been should obviously go. It's Cornwall's number one tourist attraction. Um, but it is spectacular. So as soon as you go through the, uh, the visitor entrance, you walk straight out onto this platform and right in front of you are these huge, probably like spaceships, they look like, huge plastic spaceships that have just landed right in this crater. And it's all landscaped around it. And then you walk through and there are waterfalls and there are exotic birds and massive, massive trees. Um, it's quite hot and steamy in there. Um, it's, you know, you walk up like gently graded pathways getting higher and higher into the biomes and the photographer and i were walking up there and we were getting quite hot and sweaty and thinking well is joe biden 78 years old going to do this <laughs> because if so he might need a glass of water when he gets to the top um and there's a walkway as well which is about 20 foot up a rope walkway with um, planks of wood and I'm, I'm not great with heights walking across it it's pretty pretty scary you know so you lose your balance um but the, it was a spectacular setting for the, the Friday night dinner and reception. Um, you know, obviously they had a lavish meal. Um, and uh, that's, again, part of the soft power, the charm that Britain puts on in instances like this. Um, and, the, you know, the world leaders, they're not off duty at the dinner. It is a chance to relax. They're more off duty at the barbecue on the Saturday nights um, on the beach at Carbis Bay. But this is the big sort of showpiece socialising bit of the... Um, of the summit was this uh, was this dinner up at the Eden Project. Hold up, what did they give you for dinner? If, if all the others were having the, the big lavish meal? Oh, well, at these summits, uh, we end up having to look after ourselves. But no. It's safe to what? say. If that, you're working uh, in the press room? Yeah, well, it's often better making your own arrangements, as, uh, <laughs> as my expenses will attest when I find out around the dinner. <laughs> I remember when nice we, we did Pride of Britain and they bring in some sandwiches with some plates of chips and then you're, everybody stinks of chips <laughs> for the next four hours because we're in this tiny room with buckets, loads of French fries. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all glam, it's all glam, yeah. Your job is very glamorous. Um, so... We saw we saw a lot of we saw a lot of the ladies in the pictures. Um, so HM Queen Laura message. So we got lovely pictures of the five of them and per- perfect pictures of the Queen Camilla and Kate together. But we didn't get much in the way of Charles or Will or of them together or of them with the Queen. We don't see these five together often. I wish they'd have taken advantage of that for the photos. Um, Russell, in terms of Charles and William, they were doing some you know meetings and things on some of their big issues as well, weren't they? You know, I think this is interesting because obviously it it was a huge opportunity to sort of push their agenda, really. And I think we've been speaking on on increasing frequency, haven't we, about royals dipping their toe into politics. Certainly William and Kate going up to Scotland. Uh, that story in the Sunday Times about certainly um, they are more interested um, in taking the bull by the horns and, and believing that the politicians are, in quotes, losing Scotland. So uh, th- that, that's quite interesting if they start spending a, a bit more time north of the border. Obviously, they're, they're both 
uh, well known to adore Scotland and it's given them an awful lot um, of joy within their lives and, and William is, is very very protective of the union not only in his his uh, his new role as I was about to say Lord Defender of the Faith or something it's it's uh, what's his you've promoted him I think several times there, <laughs> Lord I Defender um, what's what's the role Church, he's the head of the Church of Scotland Lord Commissioner Lord Commissioner of the Church of Scotland there you go yeah um, but I th- yeah, so you know, Charles, I know that we're kind of used to hearing what Charles has to say, but it's no less important of him in talking about a climate emergency, 10 years to save the planet, and really pushing that agenda. We're used to him speaking um, at Davos um, about these issues. And, and I think that certainly William will kind of take over that role because when you see the change in power, um, whether Charles will be able to, or whether he will feel as comfortable speaking about, I, I think actually he will. I think that that will it will be a, a, a different sense of monarchy for for him as well. He won't just abandon his principles. He'll think that this is way above politics and is, of course, a global emergency. But I think, of course, with with William's Earthshot Prize um, project, you will you will see him just organically take over that so it's it's very interesting that the, both of those the, the the two men were there speaking about that um that sort of issue and and of course arguably you know kate and jill biden speaking about the issue of uh early years development and children the provision for those children across not only the uk but the us um kate speaking about you know i hope our two countries still manage to share um projects and research and are involved in that way. Well, that's that's political collaboration, if ever there was any. So that's quite interesting that the, the Kate is, I thought she looked quite comfortable alongside Jill Biden. Obviously, Jill Biden is, but Ben, what's her actual role? She's she's a, essentially a doctor of education. Is, is that that's right? That's right. She's an academic, yeah. And she, academic, um, yeah. She's, I think she's the first first lady to carry on with her job um, whilst, whilst being in office. Obviously, the first lady is a constitutional role in US politics in a way that it isn't in British politics. Right. Um, but she has chosen to, as well as carrying out her constitutional role, um, by coming on these international visits and going to bilateral summits and sort of running a, an office in the White House as well. She's also kept her day job, if you like. Um, I remember reading an interview with her uh, a while back in the run-up to, um, to the US election, whereby she said, I think something, the, the title she was most proud of was her doctorate. She is a doctor of education. Um, and going back to, uh, you know, the royals in politics, this, it's obviously very difficult, you, you know more than I, Russ, about them dipping their toe into the politics because, it, you know, they don't want to get caught in a constitutional nightmare. But they are able to do things like this, like the Eden Project, you know, it's a huge biodiversity project. That's very close to Boris Johnson's heart, genuinely is. You know, the, his father, Stanley Johnson, is been banging on about it for decades but also we know it's very close to prince charles and now to prince william um so to be able to be there and to i think both of them probably been to the eden project before it's been going for about 20 odd years but to be there that's a slight statement in itself because it's an endorsement of biodiversity obviously they're not going to say we back boris johnson's strategy on biodiversity but it is something that's important to them and i've just been looking through the um the menu for the big banquet they had on Friday night, because obviously the Prince Charles has spoken before about the importance of um, local produce. Mm. 
Um, and also, you know, that's good for the environment. It's not just good for local businesses and local trade, but it's also good for the environment because you're not shipping in ingredients, flying them halfway across the world. So for the, they had uh, spice, melon, gazpacho, coconut, and high notes herbs, right, from Cornwall for the starter. Then listen to this, for the men, turbot roasted on the bone, which was caught off the Cornish coast by a fisherman from Newquay. This Gosh. is all like briefed by number 10, very keen for us to know yeah, um, yeah. that it's locally sourced produce. With Cornish new potatoes, obviously, and wild garlic pesto with greens from the local Padstow kitchen gardens. That's amazing. That's that all a, in Cornwall. And so then, just even that sort of that 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 essence of thought that they were put were putting into it. What's exactly, what's for yeah. pudding? Uh, dessert. You had English strawberry pavlova. It doesn't say Cornish, but I actually went to a strawberry farm uh, in Cornwall when I went for a visit to preview the summits back in um, March. So uh, maybe the strawberry also came from Cornwall. Then the cheese course, Cornish Gouda, Cornish Yarg, big fan of Cornish Yarg. Cornish Gouda, decent. Yeah. I have not had that. And Telford Blue. I mean, I'm, I'm oh, that's a, a decent, nice that's a good one, one. That's a, that's, isn't that, is that not from Bristol? No, Helford yeah, Blue, Helford's just next to Falmouth. Helford's a river just down the coast. Ah. From so that's, that is also Cornish. And then the Petitour was clotted cream fudge with mini clotted cream ice. So, I'm sorry, what's the, what's the Cornish? It's, it's... Jam first. No, I can't Cream deal on the with top. that. I oh, can't. Russell. I've got to go to Evans. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. Um, <laughs> this wasn't a cream tea. This was fudge. So we didn't get into a diplomatic row about jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So leave strong lengths to avoid diplomatic spats. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, yeah. just, I, just can't I don't think we grow melons in Cornwall just yet, but the rest of it <laughs> sounds very conscious. But yes, yeah, so, Charles, so Charles met with the global CEOs of the Sustainable Markets Initiative at St. James's Palace before heading down to Cornwall. As I talk about this over the time. Well, well, that was very interesting. That probably didn't get as much play as it, as it should have done because it was kind of overshadowed with everybody knew what was coming. And I think there was quite a lot of interest in the G7 before. But that that is quite interesting on a, on its own because the very fact that um that charles is is meeting world leaders and speaking to them not only as sort of a, a future king but also with his sustainable markets it's markets initiative hat on tells you i think you know as i just mentioned i think he will be a very very different king won't be giving up his values will be speaking on those big issues and continue and, and continue to do so and feel quite comfortable in doing so so um uh, yeah, another sort of interesting for- foray into the uh, into the uh, into the world of um, sustainability for Charles. Going, going for the Jill Biden model of doing the job and keeping the old keeping yeah. the old job as well. So um, I mean, it was a busy old weekend for the Queen because she she had a little little trip down to Cornwall on the Royal Train, back to Windsor Castle for mini, not quite so mini, trooping the colour on Saturday, which looked glorious, and then welcoming the Bidens for tea at Windsor Castle on Sunday as well and got got all the soldiers out again so that's you know extra special treatment for for the president and first lady what did you think of trooping I didn't see it Russell oh no no it was it was well the weather was tremendous you tell me well the weather was tremendous I've got some boring stats just so I haven't even written them down I've just got them off the top of my head there was it was three times bigger there yeah. was 274 soldiers this time. There were 70 horses. I've, I've borrowed the term magnificent beasts from Roy and Nika at, this, at the Sunday <laughs> Times, which I mentioned, which I mentioned uh, the other day and she picked up on it. But it was, it looked great. And you, um, 
I think I, I think I saw the Queen tapping her toe at one point. She was ha- having such a jolly good time. She looked very, very happy. Duke of Kent, obviously, there supporting her uh, in his military role as well. I mean, that that's um, it was it was an interesting precursor to what we hope will happen with trooping next year because obviously it's the big jubilee. I mean, Lord above, if we're not back to normal by this time next year, gosh, I mean, I can't cope. But one would hope that is going to be back at back at Buckingham Palace, back on the Mall, 1,400 soldiers, big, big, you know, bands and, and all the horses back and balcony scenes with, with the rest of the family and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And part of the big old four-day celebration and an extra bank and an extra banky. And I did see, I did see the pictures, some of the pictures from it. And the Queen did look very happy and to be enjoying the, you know, the, the, the pomp and the music and the magnificent beasts that were parading in front of her. But it could have been, you know, it must at the same time have been slightly strange for her being there because, you know, the last big event that was in that court, you know, in the in the quad was would have been Prince Philip's funeral and, and in some way probably very different music but in some ways a very similar kind of occasion with with the soldiers on on parade and everything well it's a weird one isn't it because i mean the fact that she lives there as well and has done so for what the best part of 16 months now it must be quite strange even looking out the window walking down the road oh, walking down you know walking down the quadrangle every day and and just thinking of of what had gone only a few weeks before. Um, but, but uh, you know, I think from everything we've heard, the Queen's very resilient in her view of it happens, you have a period of mourning, it's not forgotten, but then you, you kind of move on. And I think that that's a testament to how well she dealt with being front and centre within, um, within Cornwall. Do you know what I will mention, Ben? Was it so on the on the... Sun, so the Sunday the Bidens popped in for tea, yeah, yeah. So I saw I saw some of the American press sort of kicking off, saying this is unprecedented that the press corps have not been invited into the castle. And I thought, well, get a grip. I mean, you know, is this is the Queen of England? It's not, you know. Yeah, there was. Um, there was. Then, let, let me finish. So, so they were saying. So they were saying, oh, the, you know, we haven't been invited in. So then they're not invited in because it's a private meeting. There was no royal rotor. There was a photographer. Went in, private meeting. Great. We don't get briefed about the conversations. It was considered private. You know, she'd welcomed him into for tea and the scone or whatever. Then Biden comes out and he briefs the US media just before he jumps back on the plane or Wherever the, I think it was the plane, wasn't it? Was and they're saying, yeah. it was, so it was Marine One. So he's just yeah. about to jump on the helicopter. And they say to him, fair enough, ask him a question, you know, what did you talk about? And he reveals that the Queen asked him about President Putin and uh, Xi Jinping. And I thought that was, you know, I don't know, pretty tricky, to be honest, because that, you know, he's just revealed a private conversation with the Queen that no other media should have been briefed on. Uh, and, and again, very, very interesting that, that literally the only thing that he said that she had asked him was about two of the most troublesome world, world leaders. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we all know what protocol is when you've had the meeting with the Queen. You don't chat about it. Yeah. David Cameron once blurted out that the Queen purred down the line after he told her that Scotland had voted to stay in the Union. Yeah. 
Boris Johnson is, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he revealed details of the conversation with the Queen. And we all had a go at them. Now it's the US president doing it. We should also have a go. Like, whether he wasn't aware, but bearing in mind, Uncle Joe's thing has always been that he's the statesman. You know, he's been in US politics for decades. He should know his way around international protocol and that you don't go splamming after meeting with Her Majesty. Now, whether or not he didn't know that, maybe. Whether or not he'd forgotten it, maybe. There's a possibility, and, you know, this is only me thinking aloud, that he felt he had to throw the US media, the Travelling White House press corps, a bone because they've not had a great trip, right? Like they've, you know, had various degrees of self-isolation they've had to do. And obviously you're covering summits in, in this sort of climate. This is the first face-to-face international summit um, that any of us have dealt with during, during the pandemic. Um, we hear that the US court did not enjoy their trip to the United Kingdom. Oh, really? And were moaning about access in Cornwall and were then moaning as well because President Biden, I mean, there's a whole thing about the press conference's timing on Sunday, right? England football match, those that wanted to watch it, me not being one of them, kicked off at two o'clock. Boris Johnson's press conference was originally due to start at 2.05 p.m. Yes, I saw this. Number 10 tried to move heaven and earth to get it brought forward because they wanted people to watch Boris's crowning moment rather than the football. Journalists who wanted to watch the football were moaning about the possible clash. So we were told, basically, there's no way of moving it. Now, the protocol for this is that the host country, which is us at the G7, their leader, Boris Johnson, has to go first in the press conference. Second, has to go the US president. But he's got a date with the Queen. So you can't push it back because he's due to be, you know, you can't stand, you can't be late for tea with Her Majesty at Windsor. So then they tried to bring it forward. So then our press conference, the Boris Johnson one, was going to be 1.45. So we all get to this room at 1.30. Anyway, it starts at one minute past two. So almost exactly the same time as football's kicked off. Biden then doesn't hold a press conference in Cornwall. So the US media are going tonto about it. Yeah. Then they all get moved up to Newquay, which is where Air Force One is based. Biden then does a mini press conference at the airport. Yeah, no, I know, I, I understand it. I, I, and then he I goes to we... Windsor for the tea. So then he's like, presumably the aides are telling him the journalists are not happy with this, Mr. President, you know. So anyway, he, he reveals a bit of what the Queen said. And you can just imagine the Queen kicking back after tea. You know, he's had a busy weekend. Just like, oh, what's he done now? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, I thought it was quite extraordinary. And I've, I've had a bit of experience with the US media when Trump was over. Uh and moaning about access and stuff. And of course it's difficult. You're in a different country and it's, there's certain protocols and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I understand it. I just, I just thought it was extraordinary that those were the two things he, he mentioned. I mean, that's just madness. Um, there is a thing as well that perhaps Biden, right. Let his guard down because, you know, he's had three days at Cornwall doing highbrow politics then he's get, then on Monday he had to go to the, his first NATO summit in Brussels, and then Wednesday the summit with Putin. The hour that he had with the Queen, maybe that's where he, he relaxed. <laughs> you know, he didn't have to think about the politics for for an afternoon. Got in there, had a nice chat. She's like, "What are you going to say to Putin?" And you know, you got that meeting coming up. He starts yeah. down there, and then he just wants to talk about it. Maybe it's like yeah. therapy for Biden. <laughs> You've done a very good job of answering the question from Floridora. Um, I think it's, I'm guessing it's London Explorer who was asking about whether um, whether it was a bre- the breach in protocol. Some of the press have made it out to be, but clearly, 
clearly, uh, yes, un- unusual. And uh, I mean, I hate that word protocol that was- anyway, but it's probably just common sense, isn't it? Surely. Well, and the fact that it's related to, I think there's, there's, there's two different kinds of conversations that you might have with the Queen. There'll be the ones that are sort of the generic, what do you do? where you're just talking, you know, passing the time of day and talking about pleasantries and that kind of thing. You know, if Joe Biden had come out and they'd shared some like reminiscences about the G7 or whatever, or, or the time they met however many years ago, you can't imagine that that would have been a problem and a kind of a breach of protocol as such, because it's not going to cause any ripples. It's not giving away the Queen's private thoughts. I think it's it's more the Queen wants to be able to speak frankly occasionally behind closed doors with people who are in those elevated positions and are going out and and you know she can do that soft diplomacy behind behind closed doors I guess anyway that's my that's my take on my take on the situation thank you for both of yours as well quite quite a ruckus and the other thing that comes around with the Queen's official birthday other than trooping the colour is the Queen's birthday honours and they've always fallen at a particularly odd time for us somehow in our podcasting schedules we've never really ended up talking about them very much but since Ben is on and pretty much twice a year he or someone in his team quite often it's him but someone else on the politics team was dealing with it this time because Ben was down in at the G7 deals with the big story about you know who are all of the people who are getting these all the letters after their names, special awards for either the New Year's honours or the Queen's birthday honours. So I thought since Ben was here, maybe he could explain to us, if he would be so kind, um, a little bit about how how the honour systems work. Like, how do you get one? How do you, how do you get one and who decides? And how much do the royal family actually have to do with it? Yeah, so anyone can nominate anyone for an honour. It's quite meritocratic in that respect. Um, particularly hold up hold up so, so sorry Anne and I can nominate each other well, you can nominate me if you wanted I'm nominating um, Dan Jackson you two are far too much <laughs> but yes you, you could um, what do you, there, you know the criteria do you do you think someone deserves one basically now if you go on the internet and google how do I nominate someone for an MBE um, it tells you there's the gov.uk website basically says what you need so you need to write um, a detailed description of why you're nominating someone, why you think they deserve an award, uh, what they've done. Then it gets a little bit more complicated. You need to also uh, get two supporting letters from people who know the person you're nominating. So you know when you like get your passport done, you've got to have two responsible people like signing the back to say, yes, this is, this is the person who's applying for the passport. A bit like that. You need references, if you like. Um, and then you submit the forms. It goes to the Honours and Appointments Secretariat, which is where it goes into the Whitehall system. So there's a group of people who basically study all the nominations and uh, they look at them, sift them, decide, yes, that sounds like they might deserve one. No, that doesn't. Two piles. Then uh, then you get the vetting. So if basically you've been deemed worthy of an honour, then they have a look into your background to see if there's anything which might come out by a pesky journalist in the investigation finding, oh, you know, this person uh, ripped off a load of old grannies 20 years ago and went to prison for two years, for example. Or you're um, like David Beckham and you've uh, you've, you've slagged off the honours committee. For example. <laughs> um, and then obviously there's a whole load of tax issues. There was, you know, you remember a couple of years ago, there was a load of people who um, thought they should have had them or campaigns to get people nominations, but those people were tax exiles. So they weren't paying into the system. Uh, and was it fair to reward them 
with a gong if they weren't funding the system, the NHS, schools, police, hospitals, etc., on which we all rely. So there are criteria that you have to meet. And if you don't meet them, then your application, if you like, nomination, which you're not supposed to know about, obviously, because it's done by someone else for you, it gets binned. Um, anyway, if it all goes through, then they'll decide like which grade of honor, MBE, OBE, CBE, et cetera, um, which, uh, which order and awards they think is most appropriate. And then a couple of days beforehand, the, the, we get briefed, um, like it's all under embargo, it's very strict. Um, and it's usually until 10.30 p.m. the Friday before, for example, when it's a Queen's birthday honours on the Saturday, um, it all becomes apparent at 10.30 p.m. the night before. When it's the New Year's honours, uh, it's usually the New Year's Eve, I believe, that it all becomes public. Um, so in that briefing, you get the full pack uh, with all the lists of people. Um, usually a few of the recipients are available for interview, so we can all do it all in advance and provide the best possible coverage. The cabinet office are really helpful in making sure um, that we've got accurate information and that we're able to cover it properly. Um, you also get breakdowns in terms of um, the number, or percentages rather, of ethnic minorities who received it, because in the past there have been criticisms that um, it was a disproportionate number of white people were getting them, so they're very hot now on showing um, like how many people from ethnic minorities are receiving awards and also people with disabilities. Um, the one thing they, the, the, another thing they're very keen to do is sort of the ordinary people. So, you know, the headlines, like for example, this year it was Raheem Sterling got an MBE, Jordan Henderson got an MBE, Prue Leaf became a Dame, uh, Lulu got a CBE. So they'll grab headlines. But it's also really important that the day-to-day -day people, the ordinary people, everyday Joe public, they're very keen to highlight that, that it's not all about the famous people, the sports stars, the ones who win Olympics or, um, you know, the top footballers. The vast majority of awards go to people you and I have never heard of until they until they are highlighted. I remember about, about 15 years ago now um, doing a story on uh, a woman down in West Wales. She was in her 90s and she'd run a chip shop and, you know, she'd serve chips every day for, I think it was about 70 years or so. And interviewing her was brilliant. You know, she had proper stories to tell. I'd much rather speak to her and her, her, hear her anecdotes than hear, you know, generic Premier League footballer, for example. Um, and those are the stories that the Cabinet Office is keen to highlight because it brings it to the ordinary person. You know, you might think you might be able to get one or you might, more likely, you might want to nominate someone who you think has done good. And anybody that gets an award gets a day out at the Palace, essentially, to get... Um... Yeah, they're well, they're, in Don and... they're not all at the palace they're like you, for example in wales it's cardiff castle hosts a lot of them um some people get invited to the palace it's also obviously not always the queen or prince charles or prince william who does them sometimes it's um the high sheriff of a of a county um but you get to meet a local dignitary and if you're really lucky yeah you'll get the invitation to go and have um go and have a ceremony at the palace with with uh, the queen Presumably when it's the famous people that get that are getting their awards, that's not, you know, you or me that's decided to nominate them. There's a there's like a celebrity version of it that's picking the top people out of like who who do we think should give it, get an award this time around? Yeah, sometimes. And there's also um there was a story about a year ago about companies that basically nominate you. So they'll tell you how to do the application, you pay them a fee. Um, and they'll say, right, you want to highlight this bit, you want to do that, we'll get the letters sorted, and, you know, sort of gaming the system, really. Um, so the Cabinet Office is very 
keen to clamp down on that. I should say when I Googled uh, earlier, how do you nominate someone for an MBE? The first one thing that the first result wasn't the government website. It was one of these companies that was saying how to do it for you for the fee. Um, so that's a bit disappointing, but don't let that overshadow the fact that decent everyday people who do good work in their communities, um, they're the, the ones who receive the most of the awards and they're nominated by people who know what they do. And do the Royals actually have anything to do with it or the people who sort of get the awards or is it mainly that their name is kind of put to this? Yeah, so the, the, the Secretariat, it's responsible for sifting the applications, the, nom- the na- nominations rather, um, and doing the, the vetting. Um, you know, it's the, the Queen's not sat in her study at Windsor signing off each one individually. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure she takes an interest, uh, but it's, it's, it's not for her to to say no we can't give one to so and so x because he missed a penalty um <laughs> in that cup final very or disappointing can't give it to a jockey who beat my racehorse last week <laughs> so um i think it was interesting talking about you know the, the premier league footballers and that you mentioned raheem sterling getting one so We've talked already about the England football match that was clashing with Boris Johnson's press conference and England's happily won. And it was Raheem Sterling who scored the goal and, you know, he was doing his, his interview afterwards. And then, you know, the interviewer kind of says, Raheem Sterling, MBE, have to start saying. And the, just the biggest smile went across his face. And it's just in the same way that actually, you know, Joe Biden is quite wowed by, um, you know, meeting the Queen. Like for Raheem Sterling, he's just got a really important goal in the first match of this big tournament that everybody's really excited about. And then actually he's just like, wow, how has this happened? I've, I've got an MBE as well. It was just, you could sort of see this, this sort of, you know, the whole thing, whole thing computing. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Prince William might have seen that moment because he's, you know, um, all of his involvement with the England football and he's been tweeting away his support for the England team and um, and also after the, the awful scenes when there was a footballer who collapsed on the pitch on, on Saturday, Christian Eriksen was happily very well looked after by the medical team but um, you know William sharing his concerns about that moment so I think he will be very engaged in the football over the next few weeks and should mention that we should pass congratulations to Ben for Wales's uh, Fabulous victory last night in their in their second match. So Jochen yeah. Varian. Oh yeah. That? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something wrong with Ben's line. I mean, <laughs> what did that mean? What did that mean? I mean, thank you very much. Uh, can you speak Welsh? Uh, not much. No, more than you. <laughs> Definitely more than me. So uh, yes, plenty plenty of sport going on this week because as well it is. Royal Ascot, well, Ascot, Royal Ascot, the Royals are there. The Queen is not there. We know she missed one of the days because, well, I mean, she, was, she was hosting the Australian PM Scott Morrison as well, another special face-to-face visit. But um, Charles and Camilla have been down there in force and kind of leading, leading yeah. the Royals. Camilla, well, they've been the, a couple of days. Well. well, they've popped in for a couple, they've popped in for like the last two days, Tuesday, Wednesday. And Princess Anne as well. Zara Phillips and Mike Tyndall have made an appearance. So um, they're looking very glamorous. Not too sure we're going to see the Cambridges. I've been told that that's possibly not on the cards. But um, one would expect the Queen to attend at least one of the days. So we've heard, she's not going today, Thursday. So only leave Friday. I think she'll go on Saturday, last day of the festival. She's got a big 
chance of her horse tactical winning um, on the Saturday. So I think I think she will go on the Saturday to watch tactical. Yes, it was interesting because it being talked about whether Camilla is being lined up to be the uh, the new queen of racing as as and when the um, sort of the one queen. might say she's being groomed for the role. Oh, oh gosh, wah, this wah, is wah. brilliant, and that's this is the sort of content we've been missing. <laughs> <laughs> the sky's the limit. Um, we there was some really nice comments actually. I'm just trying to find them in uh, about <clears throat> from um from Camilla. So Camilla has done a, a few um chats to to ITV News Racing, and she's been talking about how essentially that the Queen Queen is the Oracle of horse racing and they, they, you know, her encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, of horse racing knows no bounds and speaking about the queen and her passion. It's her life passion. She was saying in, uh, in terms of what she's, um, what she's most interesting in most, most, most interested in. And, um, hopefully we're going to get to see a few more clips of, uh, we've been doing some of them online, but they'll be on the ITV news racing Twitter as well. If you haven't seen them, so hopefully we'll get to see the Queen. It's going to be a bit of a washout today, though, weather watchers, because it's absolutely chucking it down at the moment. Saturday, the weather's meant to be okay on Saturday, so fingers crossed. And even more reason for the Queen to go that day. So. Well, it's going to be thunder and lightning for the England game, apparently. Wow. Very appropriate. That's yes. Like Scots. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Sophie West, I mean, we've talked variously over um, this show about sort of dipping in and out of politics or issues. And Sophie, again, sort of stepping up into, I don't know, I kind of, kind of, kind of going to call it the Angelina Jolie role because it is the, the issues mm. that I've kind of associated with Angelina Jolie over time, the sort of um, women and, and um, violence against women and... And there's those kind of things which we know that Sophie has been um, has been taking a lead on from the from the royal point of view. So she was talking about that. She's also been talking about um, you know Prince Philip. She's and talking about and there's a couple of different interviews that she's done, I think, and talking about her daughter not being on social media, all sorts of different things. Mm. So fill us fill us in on the highlights from where she's been. Well, talking. this this was an interview with BBC's Nagamun Chetty on the on BBC Radio Five Live, and um, and it's got. Great shows. I mean, you know, it seemed to be a very, very wide ranging chat. And of course, it was part of her work with um, sexual violence and uh, with, with female victims of, of war crimes, essentially, um, which we know that Sophie has been speaking about for the last few years with her work with the UN and also closer to home as well. So I'm. I know some people are loathed to when we do say stepping up or uh, the fact that she's filling the Megan-shaped void. And, of course, listen, she's been doing this the, the role for 20-odd years now. She's has you know, very, very diligently worked within these arenas herself. And sometimes they get picked up, sometimes you know, they, they don't, unfortunately. And by her own admission, she, did, she had that into, interview at, in Stella magazine with the Daily Telegraph a couple of weeks ago. And they said, you know, undoubtedly, we'll, we'll have more attention on our lives. And we're very comfortable with that. And I think, I mean, I've written an opinion piece today saying essentially that, that they're, they're pretty modest, both her and Edward, but, you know, more so focused on Sophie. Very, very modestly getting on with the job. Happy to have more attention on her because she's much more confident in the role. You know, we spoke about her speaking about uh, the menopause and, you know, 
menstruation last week and about the the conversation that needs not to be have had with young girls but women within their lives and male employers and what have you and i think that that's very very interesting that she's confident enough to now be comfortable with the new spotlight that is on her so of course this wide-ranging chat was going to be speaking about her work supporting victims of rape sexual violence but also they of course touched upon uh, prince philip and she said that his his death had left a giant size hole within the lives of the royal family and i think she spoke very very candidly about the fact that you know like like a, an awful lot of other families 150,000 odds now um when a death happens in covid of course uh, Phillips wasn't to do with COVID, but when it, when it has happened within the pandemic, there are issues that stopping you potentially grieving in the way that you would being near your family. And I think she was really talking around the subject of, yes, they have been there for the queen. Certainly we know that the, the queen and her get on famously well, but, uh, but in, in, in terms of how they have adapted their lives, um, because everybody's not allowed to mix and see each other in the, in the way that they would. And of course that was um, symbolized within, within the whole funeral, wasn't it? All the plans that had been made for years, if not decades before were, were, were torn up and, and, and hastily re, redrawn. Um, and that we got, uh, we, we got what we want, which was a quite a, a, a good send off in the end, but it very, very different to what was planned. Also speaking about Line of Duty, the big BBC show that we know, uh, according to a report last week, that the Queen is an avid fan of as well. So perhaps Sophie and, and, uh, and the Queen have been swapping notes on who they think H was. Wow. That, 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 that I find extraordinary, but, you know. Line of Duty, absolute cultural touch point, really. Yeah. Extraordinary viewing figures. Um, one thing that I was, I, it's only dawned on me today. I mean, this is super late that this has actually dawned on me, really. But Sophie and Edward don't have, don't seem to have like, they, I mean, they're not, they're not on Instagram. Like, do you think they don't, you know, they don't have as much of their own presence on social media. They, they their work is put out through the royal family accounts. Do you think that as they are going to be more in the spotlight and taking on more of a, you know, central role? I think we possibly need to start the campaign here that we need to get them on their own social media. Well, there is a lot of um, Countess of Wessex fan pages on the Instagrams and the Twitters. So who knows? I think it would be quite a rip-roaring success because they they use the royal families. They piggyback onto the royal family social media, don't they? But if, I, I, again, I'm loath to say that if they're going to be doing more work, I don't think, essentially they could do more work it's just that work will get recognized and it will you know there there is of course she's speaking again come back to the to the menopause chat come back to the stuff at the un who knows i definitely i think that there will be scope to go on tours with sophie that has never been really done by a pack of journalists single journalists might have gone out on relative um like mini, mini, uh, not a tour, but an engagement for her with her work with the UN, let's say, in Africa. I know that the photographers, some of the certain photographers go. Um, but again, when it sort of, it comes down to budgets at the end of the day. We can't cover them all. We would like to. But Certainly, that's I, 
I would like to, but I think that there will be definite scope to, to do that in the, in the future. But I know a few weeks ago I was talking about, you know, Harry and Meghan not being on social media and not having good out, you know, social media is such a key outlet for, for people's work now, for, 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 for the young people at the risk of sounding like an old lady again, you know, that is where people get their, their news from and sort of follow things from there. So, you know, Princess Anne and, and, Prince Edward and, and Sophie, it would be great to see even more from them sort of directly on, on social media and would be another way potentially to highlight the work. But then I guess it's, you know, they, they'd have to have more stuff. And it's probably not really their scene. I don't know whether it would be Princess Anne's thing, maybe. But anyway, it's... Russell, do you, are the royals doing more interviews generally at the moment? Or am I, am I just noticing them all? It feels like over the last year, sort of during pandemic time, they have done more direct conversations and you know been on radio shows and podcasts and done the various interviews probably mainly with the telegraph and sort of magazines and things but are they in ITV news we saw Camilla was well and Carol Middleton did her first chat ever you know know, I think there is I think there is definitely an arena where they're feeling a bit more comfortable because they have been I, I I think potentially it comes down to control that they've they've managed to control the sphere a lot more because you know, journalists weren't out and about we weren't actually able to witness them up close and personal or speak to people in actual engagements find out you know, the crux of what's going on because it has been more difficult so they've been doing a lot more um, video calls they found that I think that as I've said before that will carry on side by side hopefully we get a lot more um, physical engagements because you just can't replicate speaking to actual people. And I think people, people are missing that as well. Not only them, but you know, readers, people who consume raw news, certainly the journalists are, are missing that interaction. Um, but yeah, I think that that could be argued that they are doing, that they are doing more interviews. Certainly um, it's, it's, it's an interesting period, isn't it? Because we are definitely going to, regardless of whether the queen drops down and we see less of her, we are going to see, uh, well, I suppose we're used to seeing less of her, aren't we? We're used to seeing more of Charles. We're used to seeing more of the Cambridges. And certainly the Cambridges have got some big, big projects uh, ongoing. So, so undoubtedly more of the focus will be on them. Um, but yeah, maybe, uh, maybe there are things a bit, bit buoyed by the, uh, the successes of the pandemic that they've had in in um, in sort of pushing the narrative, perhaps. So um, there's been plenty to talk about this week, but just briefly before we wrap up, what have we got coming up, Russell, to look forward to? I can't tell you about it. Oh, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a big it's going to be a, a big one, Ooh. a big one. Next, you may, you might I can only just I can uh, refer you to the Kensington Royal. Uh, social feeds over the next 24 hours Ooh. and then obviously my incredible reporting and reportage from the uh from from the field <laughs> so um there's there's going to be something quite exciting for uh, and, and quite quite a big announcement coming up so big announcement watch this watch this space um obviously, for us. i know it's pathetic isn't it um then we've obviously got the end of royal ascot there's two days well Thursday, Friday, Saturday left. Hopefully we're going to see the Queen. Put a bet on, the bookies are betting on, well, one bookie's betting on blue, one bookie's betting on green for the Queen's hat. I'm going yellow. Ben, do you want to have a flutter? Um, black with red stripes. Black, 
What are you going for, Russell? It's not Knight Rider. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go green. Green. Okay. All right. All right. We'll do that. Come back next year, next week, rather. Um, What else? What else? What else? Oh, this is going out later. So, yeah, I can tell you about it. So, today, um, Prince Charles is doing two uh, engagements. He is going to be at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and he's basically thanking. Thanking the NHS frontline workers for all their dedication within the uh, f- throughout the pandemic. Again, I think that's really important that that's not forgotten because as we sort of emerge from the crisis, you, you know, it certainly must not be forgotten for the incredible um, efforts of our of our frontline NHS and care workers. So that's good to see that the royals are stood still doing that. And then, uh, yeah, watch watch this space for the Cambridges. That's, that's what I'm going to say. Okay, and we will be talking about that next week. So in between times, you can follow us at Podsave on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, You can get Royal Headlines direct on your email if you go to www.mirror.co.uk slash email, then you can sign up for it there and you will get Russell's headlines and the rest of our Royal coverage from the website delivered straight into your inbox each day in a handy fashion. Ben, thank you so much for joining us again. We look forward to you hopefully coming on again in the future. Russell, nice to see you as well, even if you won't tell us what the big announcement is. Sorry, sorry. Well, we'll talk about it next week. We've got to have something to talk about next week, haven't we? Anyway, so listeners, thank you as ever for joining us. Stay safe, stay well, and until next time. Pod save the Queen! 